Thank you so much for joining us for Teach Me How to Money. We have a great guest today to talk to us more about student loans. Sure. So Vince Passione, I'm founder and CEO of Lenkey. Uh, so we've built a fairly unique technology platform. We're a technology company, and we've enabled about 300 local lenders. These are community banks and credit unions to get into the private student loan and the education refinance business. How did you get started? Why, why student loans? So it was back right after the financial crisis. Uh, there was a need to get some more capital into the business. If you think about 2007, there were probably $27 billion worth of private student loans originated. 2008, it went down to $6 billion. And wow. it wasn't because of lack of demand. There just was capital disappeared from the market, right? There were only a handful of major money center lenders in the business, and many of them stopped. So we had this great idea that we could democratize the business by bringing in local lenders. These are community banks, these are credit unions, into a business that they never had access to before. So. So tell me what that means, how there was less capital in the market, for people that don't quite understand what that means. Sure. So prior to, prior to 2007, there were a handful of major money center banks, people like Citi, J.P. Morgan Chase, Sally May, and they were originating private student loans and securitizing them. Well, post-2007, the securitization markets shut down, and there wasn't an outlet for these loans. So all those lenders started originating less as a result because they had less capacity. So we saw an opportunity to bring in all these local lenders that saw millennials as their future customer base, but they didn't have a digital channel to do it through. So we provided them with a platform that allowed individuals to access those local community lenders through a digital platform. Okay. So let's talk about the state of the state of student loans. What, what's going on in 2018? So, well, first is we all hear the $1.5 trillion number. And we should probably peel that back a little bit. Well, so, what is the one point? What is that number? Yeah, so $1.5 trillion is the number, is the total dollar amount outstanding of student loan debt right wow. now in the United States. That's about, that represents about 44 million individuals who are currently paying, paying some type of student loan debt back. And if you take that number and you peel it back, roughly about $100 billion of it are private student loans, right? Okay. And those are student loans that were originated by a private lender who underwrote that individual or that individual and a co-signer. And in an underwriting process, they determined that that individual could repay that loan, right? They had the ability to pay and the willingness to pay by looking at their credit history and their income. Then the balance, which is one point, roughly $1.4 trillion of it, are federal loans. And those are the loans, because right now we're in the height of lending season, right? Student lending season. Sure. Those are the loans that show up on your award letter, right? About now, we're probably six months from the period of time where most families filled out a free application for federal student, student aid. And as a result of that, as they got their award letters, they'll see a direct loan on their award letter. Now, those loans aren't faring as well, right? They're not underwritten. Right? Okay. They're based on need. And roughly 15 to 20 percent of the people who have those loans are having difficulty paying those loans back. So what are some reasons why why people are, are struggling to pay their loans back. Sure. So this is it's a very good question. And I always say it's all about the outcome. R about If you take a look at that $1.4 and you look at that 20% that are having difficulty paying them back, about 70% of those went to either a for-profit school or a two-year community college and did not graduate. Oh, that's so interesting. Right? And when you look under the hood, Yes, we've, we've all heard about some of these for-profit schools and some of the difficulties there, and the government has stepped in from a regulatory perspective. Sure. And community college has always been a great place, right, to go to get that two-year degree. But if you start to research some of those consumers and try to understand why they didn't finish, 
these are non-traditional, right, students. These are students that went back after the Great Recession. They were working, they had a family, and they went back to school to retrain, right, to look for that next profession. And about 50-some-odd percent of them will say the reason why they didn't complete was because they were balancing studying and going to work or studying and a family, right? So it is all about the outcome. And if you're, you're contemplating taking out student loans, you really need to see clearly the fact that you have to graduate, right? Because the, the majority of the reason why people default on these loans is they don't obtain a degree. So here's a question for you. Did you take out student loans? Yes, I did. So I graduated, here goes my age, 1983. <laughs> I graduated. Well, you look great. Thank you very much. Certainly, they wouldn't see it on, t on the radio, but <laughs> podcast. But um, so I graduated about $12,000 of student loan debt. And at that time, the interest rate was 12%. Whoa. So I was looking it up the other day. That's probably about $175 a month in payment. My first job, I was a dev, right? I worked for IBM as a developer, okay. making about $25,000 a year. After tax, it was about $18,000. So that was a tough payment for me after I paid for my car because I had to commute to get to work. I made my insurance payment. I paid my rent. So, you know, I certainly worked at IBM, but I also took a job two nights a week waiting tables at a comedy club. Oh, and but what was the name of the comedy club? It was called Comedy U. It was on University Place in the East Village. So you had two jobs. One, did one of those jobs go to paying off your loans, and the other job was just for paying regular bills? Absolutely. I mean, the way I looked at it was that extra income was all about me getting that lo making incremental payments on my loan to pay it down earlier. And the other thing I did was any increases in my job, in, in my salary, in my main job, did not improve my quality of life. So I, I stayed very focused on any incremental income I had, I would put towards my student loans to pay them back early. So since paying off student loans may not have been the most fun time in your life, what made you want to get into it now? Well, you know, my previous company was all about democratizing the auto finance business. We saw that by using technology and bringing in local lenders into auto finance, there was more competition, it became a healthier market, and as a result, there are more affordable loans out there in the auto business. So we saw the same opportunity in 2007 in student lending. It's a business that really needed democratization, and there are lots of credit unions and community banks who wanted to get into this business because they saw uh, obtaining a relationship and a millennial being their future for their business as an important thing to grow. So it made some sense for us to do it. And it's worked. You know, we've, we have delivered more than 300 local lenders, right, into the student lending space. And you know, these aren't major money center banks that during the, the Great Recession got bailed out by TARP. They were fine, right? Sure. Um, they are what I call the farm-to-table part of the financial services industry. They take in local deposits, and they make local mortgages, local auto loans, and now local education loans. So they really are the kinds of institutions that you want to do business with. I mean, credit unions are nonprofits, right? Absolutely. So, so these are great institutions that, unfortunately, sometimes are the best-kept secret from a lot of the borrowers that we do business with. So I'm going to ask you just some basic questions that I know some of our listeners have. What is the difference between loan consolidation and loan refinancing? So loan consolidation comes from the history of federal loans, and it is the ability for you to consolidate all of your federal loans into a single loan for the purposes of making one payment. So typically, when you do a consolidation loan, what the government will do is average out your payments of all your loans, and they add a small margin. So here's the rub. If all your federal loans were at 6%, and you consolidated them, you'd wind up paying a higher interest rate because they would consolidate them at 6% and then add a 25 to 30 basis point margin on top of it. And what's a basis point? Uh, so that's basically a fraction of a, of a, of a percent. Okay. 
So what about refinancing? So refinancing is something that came to fruition with private loans. Okay. And people typically refinance their loans because they're trying to do a few things. They're either trying to reduce the interest on the loan, they're trying to reduce the monthly payment, they're trying to release a cosigner from the loan. Sure. So typically in refinance, and that's what the majority of our clients are doing, you can refinance your private loans and federal loans together. You extend the term, which would drop the payment. You might get an, a lower interest rate because you have established credit, and perhaps your, your co-signer, when they signed for you, didn't have as good a credit rating as you have today once you've graduated. So refinancing was all about private loans in the beginning, but now we see is most lenders will let you refinance both your private loans and your federal loans together. The one caveat there is be very careful when you do that, because if you consolidate a federal loan into a private loan, you give up some of those bar benefits like income-based repayment that exist in the federal loan space that don't usually exist in the private space. So I think that's really important. I think that there's so many questions that, that come with this. You know, be careful of this. Make sure you, you do that. If we were to call... Um, Call Lenkey, would you guys explain that to people? Absolutely. Okay. And we do it, and all of our lenders do it. So financial education is a big part of what I think these local lenders bring to the table because they realize that they're trying to establish a relationship with someone who's earlier in their financial you know, life cycle, and there are lots of questions about how to do this, when to do this, and why to do this. So we provide that as well as our lenders. I think financial education is so important because a lender, especially a local lender, isn't going to want to I give a loan to someone who's likely to default? That's correct. And it's a big part of this is to make sure that people understand why they're doing it and do it the right way, right? Because some people attack this as, hey, I'd like to reduce, I would like to um, shorten the time it takes for me to pay this loan back. And you can do that. Just, you know, you can get a five-year loan from our clients. Understand, though, when you do that, you might double the monthly payment. Or you might be sitting there struggling with your monthly payment thinking, in the future I'll, I'll have some more income, but for now I'd like a lower payment. And the only way to get that is to extend time on the loan. And our clients allow you to go out to 20 years. So you need to approach it understanding what you're trying to get out of this refinance. So if I was going to go in for a student loan, either talk to my local lender or talk to you guys, what are some questions that I should come to the table with? So the first you want to do is inventory all your loans. You got to know, you got to approach it, you have to know what you owe, right? How many are federal, how many are private? You should also know what the interest rates are on all those loans and what the bar benefits are. Understanding that the one I will tell you straight up is that federal loan has those income-based repayment benefits versus the private loans won't have it. The other is understanding based on your job, your career, how quickly your income is going to go up. Sure. So, look, teachers, I love teachers. The world needs more teachers, and they're underpaid. And the other issue with teachers is their income doesn't go up as quickly, right? Absolutely. So if you believe your income isn't going to rise that quickly, you should be approaching this refinance where I'll take time on the loan so that potentially I can take that payment down to something I can live with for the next 20 years. So the average student graduates with about $35,000 of debt, right? Paying it out over 10 years, that's about $350 a month. Add five more years to that, right? You can cut that payment down to probably $250 a month. So the question is, if you have a fixed, if you really understand what your motivation is, right, and understand where your salary is going, right, you'd approach that refinance conversations in a very educated way, right, and understand there's no prepayment penalties usually on these loans. So if you suddenly win the lottery or you change your career, you can always make extra payments because those will go against the principal and they will accelerate the timelines for you completing the repaying the loan back. So um, are there any 
like any hacks for loan repayment that don't involve the call of you guys like making one extra payment a year? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so as in any installment loan, right, anytime you make an extra payment, right, so I think the algorithm is it, it, on a 30-year mortgage, if you make two extra payments a year, you can almost cut the timeline down in half, right? So that's certainly a hack. The other is what I tell people is sit back and look at any incremental income you get, gifts, birthday gifts, right, your raise at work. Don't expand your lifestyle until you get through this pay, repaying back these loans because all those incremental payments will go against principal. And the best way to accelerate your timelines and repayment is to reduce the principal amount because every month your payment is being calculated off the existing principal on the loan. So getting that principal payment down, really important. The other is you see now this rollout of this corporate employer benefit, right? So there's probably a few hundred corporate employers now that will make a payment against your student loan oh, on I a never monthly basis. I've never heard of such yes. a thing. Yeah, PwC rolled it out. There's a, there's a bunch of others. We just did a, uh, we, we closed a relationship with Gratify, which rolls out a corporate employee benefit program. Uh, and what, what those employers will do is when you sign up, just like you have a 401k, they'll also turn around as a new employee and say, we'll pay $25 a month against your student loan. Use that, right, as a principal payment. Right? So seek out those employers that are offering that type of a benefit because they'll certainly benefit you as well. What are some other forgiveness programs that people might not know about? So you've got to separate the two of them, right? So on the federal side, there are a ton. There's probably 26 different permutations. You can go on our website at lenke.com and see them about how you can, you can uh, apply for things like income-based repayment. An important one is if you work for a nonprofit, so if you're a teacher, Right? If, you're, if you're a nurse working for a hospital that happens to be a nonprofit, if you work for that nonprofit for 10 years, right, your loan will be forgiven. That's a really important bar benefit not to forget about because you don't want to be consolidating that loan if you're a nurse or a teacher into a private student loan. That would be a huge benefit to give up. Sure. Right? The other is on the private side, right, the concept of forbearance, which many people don't understand. I always tell folks, if you're having difficulty paying back your loan, that's when you want to call your servicer, right? You want to call your student loan company and say, I'm having difficulty. I lost my job. Almost every lender, private lender, will offer you forbearance. Now, what's a forbearance? It's basically calling up and saying, I lost my job. I'm not capable of making this payment. They'll ask you what you can make. If it was a $350 payment, if you can make $50, they'll take $50. If you can't make anything, that's fine. They'll, they'll basically assess it and say, fine, for six months you don't have to make a payment, or maybe it's three months. Now, that's great because you wind up not defaulting on the loan, and you never want that to happen. Absolutely. So your credit rating doesn't get affected by that's this. That's great. Now, the negative is, and the thing to be careful about, is you don't want to exercise this too often because you're not making the full payment. And during the period of time that you're in forbearance not making a full payment, the interest is capitalizing on this loan. And when it comes out of that forbearance period, the loan is going to be reamortized, which means they're going to recalculate your payment. It's going to be higher because they don't add time on the loan. Got right? it. So you want to use it. You want to use it when you have a disaster, right, where I lost my job or, God forbid, there's some medical reason. Sure. But you just don't want to do it and say, it's the summertime, I want to go on vacation, and I'm going to take this round-the-world tour. Not, not the time to use forbearance. Okay. So a lot of our listeners are contemplating going back to school, going to grad school, you know, which is, you know, a great idea if they want to, you know, increase their income, increase their skill set. What are some things to think about when it comes to taking out loans for graduate school? So absolutely. Good question. So the first is that, number one, you can defer almost all your loans when you're in graduate school. 
Now remember, just like we talked about earlier in forbearance, anytime you defer a payment in the private world, for the most part, those loans are going to keep accruing interest, right? On the federal side, you have to look at your loans. If your loan was a subsidized federal loan, which means the United States government paid the interest on the loan while you're in school, you're fine. It's very easy to get that deferment. If it's an unsubsidized federal loan, interest is still accruing. So what you may want to do is defer your loans, but pay the interest on the loan while you're still in school so it's not a larger payment. Then the question is, you need money to go to graduate school. You do. Right? So grad plus loans are easy to get, right, because there's not much underwriting that goes on with it, and you can take them out for full cost of attendance. However, interest rate on those loans are almost 7.6%, and it's a 4% origination fee on that loan. So it's very expensive borrowing, but it's there if you need it. You can also take out private loans, right, with a cosigner, and do exactly what you did while you're in undergraduate school, while you're in graduate school. If I needed a cosigner, what does that cosigner need to know before he or she cosigns a loan? So the first thing you need to make certain that they understand is they are not a character reference. They're not there to tell people that you're a great person. <laughs> they are responsible for the loan. And that means, that means this in every way. It means it shows up on their credit bureau. So if mom and dad are cosigning a bunch of loans for their sons and daughters, right? If mom and dad are getting ready to retire, those loans show up on their credit bureau and they affect their debt to income, right? How much debt they have versus how much income they have. So mom and dad are getting ready to retire and they're gonna apply for another mortgage for that retirement home, they're gonna have a difficult time doing it if they're not careful. So cosigners are responsible to pay back that loan if the borrower doesn't repay it and it shows up on their credit bureaus. And what are some red flags that people should look out for? I mean, we all see commercials on TV and billboards. Mm -hmm. What are some things that people should know before they pick up the phone and make that phone call? Yeah, so fortunately, this industry has been so overregulated in the last 10 years in a good way that most folks in, in this space are good actors, right? I believe mo when you take a look at the lending community, there's a lot more transparency here. The press has done a great job of educating the consumer about student loan debt and what it means. And I think most families are becoming much more discerning when they think about financing their college education. So I think the things that we need to watch out for are the things we discussed, which is understand the difference between federal and private loans, right? Be very careful about those borrower benefits and don't give up the federal benefits if you're someone who's working for a nonprofit. Understand that if you're financing your college education, here's a rule of thumb. The average income of someone who graduates in the United States right now is about $50,000. Don't borrow more than $50,000 or else you're going to have a difficult time paying it back. Right. I think that's really good advice. This is my last question. Uh, do you have children? Yes, I do. So what, uh, what are your tactics um, for, for their college education? How are you having them deal with student loans or the advice so I, you're giving them? So I have two daughters, and the advice I gave them was the most important thing about paying back student loans is outcome, right? And most people think that it's harsh to talk to someone when they're a freshman in high school and ask them what they want to be. Sure. Right? And my answer is... Well, I'd rather find out all the things you don't want to be so we don't make the wrong turn. So that means summer interns, it, internships. It means talking to people about professions. It is never too early to engage your son or daughter in a conversation about what they want to be because, unfortunately, given how expensive college has become, it's no longer about an experience. It's about an outcome. And I hate to say that, right? But finding yourself in college is just too expensive, right? 
and we've all been there, right, at the college orientation sessions where they say, how many people know what they're going to major and what they want to be? <laughs> and they go, great, because 50% of the people don't. And my question, I'm always that horrible parent, is, okay, I'm glad you feel good about it. What are you, college, going to do to ensure that my child finds out what they want to be? It's just too expensive to be doing it while you're in school. Well, I think this is all really great, useful advice, and I'm really grateful that you came and talked to us. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Yeah, I hope I get to talk to you again soon. Same here. Thanks for listening to Teach Me How to Money. Send us your questions at teachmehowtomoney at stashinvest.com, and we'll try to answer them on a future episode. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a review on the iTunes store, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Don't have Stash yet? Just go to stashinvest.com slash podcast, and you can get $5 to get you started on your investment journey. Stash, it's your money, simplified. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute a recommendation from Stash to the listener. Neither Stash nor any of its officers, directors, or employees makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any of the information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Stash, and Stash is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of advice by Stash to the listener, nor to constitute such a person a client of Stash.